Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Speed City with John Massengill, Les Kaiser, and Jonathan Green. Presented by Mosing Motor Cars. It's the fastest hour on the radio, Speed City. Good evening, gearheads. Welcome to Speed City. If we sound excited, that's because we are. The Formula One season is underway. We had a great show last weekend, our national show, talking about Speed City F1. We're going to start using that hashtag, aren't we? Speed City F1. Why not? This is John Massengale. That was Jonathan Green, and that was Les Kaiser. We're all in studio today. Welcome back from Atlanta, Mr. Green. Thank you. Had a lovely weekend. Road Atlanta. you got to say it that way. Uh, Trans Ammon. Trans Am, man. Yeah, loved it. And Paul Tracy was there. How did they like the British voice doing the classic American motorsports? I can can talk funny if I need to. (laughs) You do naturally. Uh, it's no, funny. It's, I, it's I, a coincidence I, about our, our guest tonight. Tell yeah, that story. I agree. I'm going to say, yeah, because I think Lee used to do the Trans Am. I'm going to ask him when he comes on. Lee Diffie, um, that is, we're talking about. Because everybody's asking, where's Lee Diffie? Bring him back to F1. Well, of course, Speed City are going to do that for you tonight. Because we want to hear what Lee's got to say about Haas and people giving them a hard time oh. about a replica Ferrari. My word. Yeah, I tell oh, you what, yeah. can't be successful, can you? No, that you, I know. You, as I, soon as they showed fast, people started attacking him. Gosh. I think that is exactly what it was. Is you know, look at the other teams who have worked so long, have been around it so long, and they're not performing as well as Haas did jumping in. And I think that's what piqued a lot of interest. And it's the Americans that have been the most outspoken. I love it. Zach Brown <laughs> calling them fast. <laughs> oh wow! And nice. Otmer, I can never do his last name from from Force India. Oh, said yeah. that he doesn't want to see it go down that... Cu- we'll talk about it more, but um, go down that customer route um, where we become effectively customer cars for factory teams and it ended up being a bit more like Indy. It's more, more of a one-spec series. So. Uh, as, you know, we, had, yeah. we, we got Diffie on in a few minutes, but I have to read this tweet from Steve Matchett because he summed it up so great. He All says, right. seemingly some teams are complaining that Haas, a young, uh, low-budget F1 team, have produced a reasonably swift car. How is this possible, they say? He says... Uh, I've seen some very well-established, well-funded teams produce some notably slow cars. I'd be more inclined to ask, how does that happen? Yeah, and how about Steve Matchett, who was part <laughs> was of Benetton's say. rise to fame yeah. with a certain young Schumacher uh, back in the early 90s, and everybody said the same back then, which is, what's Flavio up to? Yeah, yeah, a great uh, example. man. <laughs> Well, obviously tonight we're going to talk a lot about Formula One, and we're going to talk a little technical. We're going to uh, we're going to talk some of the, about what happened to Haas because if you did hear last week's show, uh, I sounded like I was ready to. Oh, find, you were cutting your wrist. Yeah, it was. I, I you know I look how it couldn't happen any worse, right? No, it couldn't have been. You're doing so great, fourth and fifth, kicking butt, and then both cars go out with the same. 
wheel nuts. That's just nuts. <laughs> it is just nuts. Yeah. So that was just sad. But and I noticed they did post a job posting immediately, I believe. But, uh, <laughs> anyway. Well, you know, obviously Haas is fast. And that's been, that has been the story in all of Formula One for the last week. Just like we were talking about, everybody's attacking them for being fast, accusing them of being the Ferrari junior team. Jonathan, you've said this from day one. I want you to get your perspective right. on it. Yeah. You, I mean, I think it's a little rich, to be honest. I mean... Um, there's a wider argument, which was what I kind of just alluded to a minute ago, which is if you suddenly just effectively do a replica car, which is what kind of Fernando Alonso was alluding at, which is that effectively, as far as he's concerned, the Haas looks like basically Ferrari from last year, right? Now, we know that there is a close association with Ferrari and Haas, but there is also a close association between Red Bull and Toro Rosso. Why did uh, exactly. Vettel win, win for Toro Rosso? Uh, there's been a close association with other teams down the line in the in the past. Mercedes engines are in the back of uh, Force India. So, you know, hey, th- there's a lot of, you know, technology that is shared in Formula One. But I also understand the argument, and that's what Otmeyer is saying, that you don't want to have effectively you know, um, replica cars, you don't want to have one spec series where you effectively buy your car. The whole idea, and that's where the essence of Formula One compared to a lot of other motorsports, uh, is that you design your car and you build your car. And sure, yes, you might have an association engine-wise or possibly, you know, um, in other parts, uh, taking, you know, uh, technology, put it that way. Uh, And so there's always been a pass-down theory, but it goes back to the question you asked me last week, which was, you know, we see it in bikes. You have a factory bike. The factory team have the better car, the better, sorry, the better bike and the better chassis. And that is then given out to it. I would like to see uh, a Ferrari engine. I would like to see uh, Adrian Newey do our aerodynamics. <laughs> How's that? Sure. And, and let's bring Patty Lowe into the fold. I, I'd like to see him around the team. What, what do you well, think? Well, you could just get John Barnard, um, Ross Braun, and... Um, yeah, Rory Burn back together again, and you've got a Ferrari that'll win for seven years. But Except you're right. with Adrian Newey. What's yeah. gonna What's gonna stop a uh, you know a second rate team, non factory team from hiring Adrian Newey contract for aerodynamics on their car? Well, that's a good point. Now we do have, and there's a, that's another argument that's going around because intellectual technology, and there's been a, a recent. Um, uh, situation at Australia between one of the FIA guys who was privy to all the questions that teams ask when they have got a question about, um, you know, uh, the, the, the the rules effectively. Uh, and then the FIA will rule on it and say, yep, you can do that. Yes, you can raise that by five millimeters or whatever it might be. He's now gone to one of the teams and they're all saying, they're all crying, oh. Yeah, right. And because so, yeah. he didn't wait the appropriate amount of time yeah. and all that. Right? Remember the expression gardening leave? Well, yeah. it, it is something that, you yeah. know, that, that's exactly, it's an English expression, which means you have to go gardening for a year because of exactly what you're saying. You, you would take away your intellectual property. Uh, but it's as big an espionage game. A uh, hundred million uh, Ferrari and McLaren were uh, fined, well, McLaren were fined when they stole the plans of Ferrari's next car a few years ago. So, yeah, I mean, Formula One espionage has, has long been a long history. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 never going to stop. But the the wider question is customer cars versus um, relationships between the teams. Personally, I'm with the latter, which is if we want Formula One to survive, you've got to have some sort of car, customer car because 
Small teams won't last. They won't last. You know, that's how Haas have done what they've done, and I like it. And everybody talks about they want, I mean, and, and the 2021 Concord Agreement, everything is about how to make cars more competitive. Okay, we just did it. We yeah. just had a young team come in, and now they're competitive, and now everybody doesn't like it. Yeah. So which way do you want it? And let me just make it another example. Look down at the Sabre F1 team. What does it say on the side of the Sabre F1 team? Alfa Romeo. Oh, exactly. Who owns exactly. Alfa Romeo? Fiat. Fiat. Who owns right. Fiat? Ferrari. Hello. Yeah, I Red mean, you Bull know. and Aston Martin. Exactly. Yeah, um, if we tried to sever all the ties in Formula One, there's just a, it wouldn't work. Right. So, you know, okay, it, but it's a kind of a mute argument. I, I just... I would just like to see it more clearly delineated between a factory team and a customer team. Yeah. What can you hand to them? That's what I want to know about. And I think that is something that's going to be firmly on Liberty's plate. And, 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 and you know, listen, there's nothing wrong with a little bit of rumbling on Ferrari replica. And it has taken three years only to get to where they are. And that is hard work on, part, on behalf of, you know, uh, Gunter Steiner and his team. But I also think... Yes, it's been a massive help to have Ferrari, but I thought it was a stroke of genius when that was what they did. And if yeah. you remember, they stepped out and they were going to join Formula One and they said, no, we'll wait a year. And I think that year is proving to be probably the most important year. So I would argue, no, this is year five of Haas's development with Ferrari and this is where they That's are. That's a really good point because think back, we were all... You know, because we wanted them to be there fast, we're all like, oh, gosh, they're going to wait a year. Yeah, you Americans are so patient. <laughs> hey, again, why do you ah, think we're at where we're at right now? Exactly, because yeah. They're not, they're not going to settle. I, so, I like agree. I said last week, we're not going to settle for mid-pack and taking a decade to get good. That, you'll never get any American fans that way. My respect for Gene Haas goes up by the minute because he's only put his own um, name on the car, i.e. Haas Automation. Uh, and I saw it in New Zealand, by the way, uh, not on the on a car, but I've seen now more. And by the way, Haas Automation are now starting to make parts for other teams. So back at you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but my <laughs> point is, I think that Gene Haas has put his, you know, put his money where his mouth is. Um, he's been successful in NASCAR. He knows how to win in motorsport. He's got a fantastic group of people worldwide. He's got two great drivers. And I think these guys are coming into their own. And I'm not surprised. You know, and here's the thing. So, yeah, they're getting faster, but what happened? Unreliability. Nobody else's wheel nuts fell off, so it's not perfect yet. So they're yeah. not on the complete article, and I don't think they will be for a long time. I was just about to say, we've only done one race. Yes, they looked really fast, but it's a long way to go. We've got many races to go and to see what will happen. Let's see how this conversation looks in about three races because it's very likely to be a different conversation. That's Formula One. That's racing. Oh, uh, so you know what? I want to talk about Mercedes because uh, Ferrari, Sebastian Vettel won the race last week and he did that in a little unusual way, I would have to say, just because of the way, you know, the first thing that happened, right, when Mercedes lost the race, the first thing they came out and said, they're blaming it on software. Well, yeah. It seemed like a cop-out. Yeah, it seemed like a cop-out. That's a great way to put it. But, you know, technology and software and the tools they use, that's all a part of racing. It's It's been that way for a long time. But what they were complaining about was the the delta between the delta, the software they use to calculate the delta between cars that go through the pit lane and the cars in front of them, behind them, all those things. And so they were using some software and I spent all weekend trying to research this myself. And then, Les, what did you find? Oh, yeah. there's an app for that. <laughs> it's called the John Matzengale app. <laughs> oh, no, no. It, it's really cool. So one of these things, 
Obviously, Mercedes fans really got excitable over this because uh, Mercedes held a Twitter event, you know, where they go online and they answer questions and they let fans contribute their questions. And so uh, it was really, really interesting. Where do you to, hold uh, a Twitter, Twitter event? Uh, in a tree? <laughs> no. A digital tree. A yeah, digital the tree. one right out the window. If okay. you'll wait there, we're going to do that. And Sorry. So, uh, and so, yeah, it's really interesting. We've got uh, several pieces out of the hard questions that were asked. Yeah, so we, we've got all these clips from Mercedes, who from the horse's mouth, as they say, to answering all these questions about the software, the Delta, what they're going to do about all that. But you're going to have to wait till after the break to hear that because it's time Ow. for a break. So we're going to go ahead and take that break and listen to Speed What's the City. Delta in the break? <laughs> two minutes, roughly two minutes. Are you sure? Get your stopwatch. You're listening to Speed City in Austin. Back after these messages. The Augusta motorcycles are the epitome of Italian style, precisely crafted with a passion for two-wheel art on wheels. Ducati Austin are the only MB Augusta and Ducati factory authorized technicians in Austin, servicing all European brands. Check the Brutali Sport Naked, the most extreme essential naked bike ever. Or the Turismo Veloce 800, the first revolutionary tourer to be built by MB Augusta. Or if you want a pedigree steeped in racing, then look no further than the World Supersport winning triple F3, 675 and 800. Or go all out for the ultimate legendary F4 MV Augusta. Italian style with Texas soul. Trade-in, consignments welcome and financing available. Ducati Austin and the home of MV Augusta at 818 Breaker Lane, just east of I-35. Mosing Motorcars is Texas's only authorized dealer for Superformance products. Superformance's Mark III is the only Cobra replica built under license from Carroll Shelby. There's no finer example of a Cobra around. Mosing and Superformance is your supplier for all the great race cars of history. The GT40, the Mark III Cobra, the Corvette Grand Sport, and the Shelby Cobra Daytona Coupe. Mosing Motorcars, 2420 West Breaker Lane. Online at mosingmotorcars.com. Superformance and Mosing Motorcars. Drive yourself happy. Dirtfish Rally School is the nation's most prestigious driving school, offering seven days a week, year-round driver education from 15-year-olds with no driving experience to amateur racers and professional drivers. Our professional instructors never judge a student based on who they are, where they're from, or their driving background. We'll keep you and your family safe on the road, or better, at the racetrack. Feel confident behind the wheel, no matter the situation, no matter what you've done, or where you've done it, or how well you've done it, we'll make you better. Talk 1370, the right choice. I'm Steve Arpin, drive the Jacob Company's Ford Fiesta for Lone Bro Chip Ganassi Racing. You're listening to Speed City. Welcome back to Speed City, presented by Mosing Motor Cars. Yeah, that was Steve Arpin, Jonathan from the Global oh, Rally Red Cross. Bulls, Global yeah. Rallycross. Yeah. yeah, and talking to Rallycross, World Rallycross is coming to little old Austin, Texas. 
in yeah. September, and we do the press launch this Wednesday. So if you're in Austin and uh, you want to see what's going on, follow the Twitter sphere. Uh, there should be some good pictures of what is going to happen in September when World Rallycross, a five-year deal with the Circuit of the Americas, comes to Austin. And I do really do believe that Rallycross is going to be the big, big next wave in motorsport in America. Dude, I think that is a, a, a pretty easy prediction, really, because I, uh, of all my teenagers' friends, that's where they seem to gravitate towards motorsport. They start there. Yeah. Well, like Matt, our intern, he started there. Yep. He was following guys like Ken Blockett or, you know, around that sport. And also the video generation has grown up with Rallycross all the way back to Colin McRae's game, which is still very popular. But, um, you know, rally as such is not a big sport in America, and I'm talking stage rally, but I think that's why Rallycross could really make it hit. But it's so easy. If you're just flipping through YouTube, that sport looks so badass immediately. You flip on it and go, wow, look at that. That's really cool. And if you are young and you're listening and you're saying, what the heck are they talking about? I'll say, Jim Carner, Ken Block. And you'll all go, oh, yeah. Now I know what you're talking about. Yep. Zero to 60 is faster than a Formula One car at like 1.9 seconds. Zero to 60. Your eyeballs are in the back of your head by the time you've done it. You know, I saw a little engineering show about that. They talked about how it's 600 horsepower, so it's not that much horsepower. They're... I think the weight is just about 2,000 pounds, which explains a lot of that. But they talk about the the drivetrain and the clutches yeah. and and how all that uh, is geared to do exactly that, get that car going as fast as it can. It's a really cool sport. There's a couple of things going for it. I mean, uh, Scott Speed and Tanner Fast, who've, who've dominated with Volkswagen over the years and GRC, uh, are coming down here as well. Petter Solberg's coming, who is a former... Uh, world Rally Champion back in uh, 2003, I think it is. And he's also been a two-time World Rally Cross Champion um, and a badass to boot. Um, but that's that really just, you know, they really are voting with their feet and uh, we've got some great drivers here. But I think the other thing is it involves manufacturers like Honda, like Subaru, like Volkswagen, which, you know, and they're, they're basically silhouettes of cars that people drive on the road. And again, that's what the youth get excited about because we've all seen a Volkswagen Beetle, but to see it in full I- fettle, and as a race car, is fantastic. I think they're more than silhouette. I think these, I, if I'm not mistaken, they take the production cars and just strip them to nothing, but they start with the actual... Well, there's rules, yeah. They've got to homologate, yeah. Yeah, I think it's the production vehicle that they strip out and... And, and you heard, our, you know, our, our, our good sponsors, Dirtfish. They have been heavily involved and have that fantastic rally school in Seattle. You've heard the ad. Uh, go up there. It's fantastic. Seriously. If you and learn. how great is it to have another event, a five-year deal at Coda here? I mean, Brilliant. that's really, that's fantastic. Uh, I was out there this weekend and uh, got a chance to check out the track a little bit. It's, uh, it's coming along well, ah, very well. Where, now, where are they going to put it? Uh, you're going to see it right there in the stadium section. So, you know, back so through you, the 12 to 15. Yeah, area. Rallycross is basically asphalt and dirt. And dirt, right. And a dirt jump, usually about a 70-foot dirt jump. So you, the, the idea is that the setup of the car is compromised by the fact that you need grip on the asphalt, and then you also need a suspension that's going to take a 70-foot jump. <laughs> yeah, and are they, I wonder, is it going to be the same spot that they did it for the X Games? I, it'll Pretty be close. similar, yeah. Not quite the same, yeah. uh, and I think that, you know, um, they've had a little more time to think of it. They can look back at the X Games and see what was good and bad about it, but in terms of viewing, yes, it'll have the same kind of viewership uh, from us, from the grandstands that already exist there, and I think that's going to be great. It's going to be a really good atmosphere, and yeah. Get on, get on the Coda website and uh, get your tickets. You bet. That's three weeks before Formula One. So, uh, oh, nice. Mow an extra yard or two and come see well, that. Then you also. can just come to Austin for a whole month. There yeah. You 
All right, well, we're going to talk Formula One, speaking of Formula One, because when we went to the break, we were t- talking about Mercedes and their software problems in last week's race that, that cost them the race, actually. So, it really did. And so let's, we, Les was talking about this Twitter event that they did where they, the Mercedes engineers came on Twitter and did a live event. It was actually really cool, but let's hear this first clip. And this is what Mercedes did to calculate the Delta. So thank you, Chandeep, for your question, which was all about the, the delta time and how we calculate it. That's the difference between a car staying out on track and a car coming into the pit lane. One of the first cars to stop was Kimi. Um, Kimi was doing that, trying to pull Lewis in. We knew that Ferrari would do that, having two cars up front. And then there aren't many stopping. And then suddenly you get this VSC and safety car period and all the cars are coming in to make the stop. And that's because it's quicker to do that when there is a VSC or a safety car. So back to the question about how we actually calculate it. Well, during the VSC, all the cars on track have to slow down to a much reduced pace. And that's to make sure that, that it's safe for the marshals who are going to be going onto the circuit working. And we get that profile from the FIA. They actually tell us how fast the cars have to drive. And then the drivers are trying to stick within a few tenths of a second of that time. Now, we know how fast the car can come into the pit lane because it's a 60 kilometer an hour limit. Um, the, the cars coming into the pits are also following that delta time until they get to the safety car line. And then there's actually a period where they're free to accelerate, decelerate back down to the pit lane. So during the weekend, we're collecting a lot of that data. And it's never, it's never quite an exact science because you don't know how fast a car is going to be able to come through that pit entry. You don't know quite how closely they'll stick to the delta. But it's essentially the difference between those two times, the one to come through the pit lane and the one to stay out on track on that reduced uh, speed limit. I love Formula One. I love, <laughs> I love the fact that... It's such a science. <laughs> it oh, is. Yeah. It's, I mean, there's so much technology. I mean, this is just calculating delta times with software. But but again, that's not an exact science. That's exactly consi- what he was yeah. saying. And the considerations of the other teams, I mean, you know, they're thinking about where Kimi is to Sebastian and what their play out is going to be, things like that. I, I just love hearing all of that going through their minds. And it just shows you that before you get your fingertips all tense and ready to tweet about how, what a cop-out, Mercedes screwed up, when you hear that, you go, oh, <laughs> I'll be quiet next time and wait wait, wait for that. To, because, because I mean, that took me back because I felt the same way, which was like, I just, I just you know, what software? You heard me mocking last week, what software glitch, you know? But actually, yeah. you know... Hey, listen, it's still human error at the end of the day, uh, but sometimes it can catch you out, sometimes it can catch you out. And the other part is it's human endeavor to do what they did and get out ahead of Mercedes. So both teams are doing the same thing, but Ferrari won that battle. Yeah, it's the same thing they used to do with guys with stopwatches and notepads. Exactly. uh, You know, sitting all around the circuit. It's the exact same thing. They just put it into software, but but it is fascinating to hear their take on it. But, you know, there's a couple other clips, Les. Um, I think... Probably the next best one is going to be this one where they talk about, this is a good one. They talk about how to fix the software, but it actually explains some more about the the different speeds in the cars and everything else. So let's hear again from Mercedes on how to fix the software. What are we going to do with the software to make sure that we don't have this, this problem again? So we identified that um, th- there was an issue with the software that was telling us that at that point Lewis was safe and that Vettel would drop out behind us. And then obviously you saw what happened. Vettel dropped out in front when he came in for his pit stop. 
Um, and the issue isn't actually with the race strategy software that we use. It was an offline tool that we create these delta time laps with. And we found a bug in that tool that meant that it gave us the wrong number. Now, the number that we were calculating was around 15 seconds. And in reality, the number was slightly shorter of 13 seconds. So that was what created our delta. And that was where we thought we were, we were safe. We thought we had a bit of margin. And then obviously you saw the result. We dropped out and we were second place. And it's very difficult to overtake. And we couldn't get through. But how we deal with these sort of problems in the software is, is the same as if we had a reliability issue, if a bit on the car broke. And it's really just about understanding everything that went wrong, gathering all the data, um, and invariably it's never just one thing. So there's, there's elements that we can do better with calculating that, but also we've looked at it in future, we're going to make sure we've got more margin because we want to be able to cover for Vettel doing an amazingly good in-lap to the pits or having an incredibly fast stop. Um, so with any of these things, we just look at everything that went wrong, uh, work out how to solve it, and then put the processes in place to make sure that we don't have a repeat. And Alan, so your question was about Sebastian accelerating as he came into the pit lane, then slowing down to the limiter line, and whether he was allowed to do that. Well, absolutely he is. Um, when you're on track following the delta time, you only need to follow it until you get to the safety car line. And as soon as they cross that safety car line as they come into the pits, they can go as fast as they like round that bend into the pit lane, and then they need to slow down to that 60 kilometre an hour limiter. So braking hard down to that, trying to lose as little time as possible, and then just along the pit lane until their pit box on the limiter. You know what I love about that? That one quote, that what, what was it, a minute and a half, something like that? That's the essence of Formula One right there. That's how hard, how brilliant Formula One is. There is human element in how fast you took that corner. There is brain power in knowing the rules and how to affect them. There is, um, as you can say, precision to the point where 12.9 seconds, just under 13, he said, compared to what the delta they calculated, which was 15 seconds. And there's the gap. You can see it visually as Vettel comes out in front of Hamilton by what? Just over a second. Right. Yep. Two seconds in Formula One is a, a, a lifetime. It's just like when we got the tour of the Mercedes garage, right. they were talking about they're looking at saving uh, weight on the car in grams. Yeah. Not ounces, pounds. I Truth. mean, we're talking grams. And that's, I mean, that, that is Formula and, One. And, and when you next time, when you, you get to Bahrain and you see a pit stop, just remember 2.2 seconds Red Bull did one last year. Anything under three is miraculous to change all four tires. Do whatever adjustments you want to do if you're going to make any adjustments. Talk to the driver, stop, start, and get out. It's amazing. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of more Formula One discussion, we are going to go to the break. But when we come back, we got the man. We Lee can take a lot Diffie. of pit stops in our break. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. In two full minutes. That's right. Lee Diffie's going to be with us after the break. So stick with us. You're listening to Speed City Live in Austin. Let's jump in my El Camino. The racetrack, it's where legends are born, where only the finest machines earn their reputation for innovation and dominance. Such are the nameplates you'll find at Aston Martin of Austin, Lotus of Austin, Bentley Austin and Rolls-Royce Motorcars. Austin exotic, iconic automobiles, whose racing heritage turns everyday driving into an inspiring journey, because you're never just along for the ride. Highway 183 north of McNeil Road. 
Dirtfish Rally School is the nation's most prestigious driving school, offering seven days a week, year-round driver education from 15-year-olds with no driving experience to amateur racers and professional drivers. Our professional instructors never judge a student based on who they are, where they're from, or their driving background. We'll keep you and your family safe on the road, or better, at the racetrack. Feel confident behind the wheel, no matter the situation, no matter what you've done, or where you've done it, or how well you've done it. We'll make you better. Hey, I'm Tanner Faust, one of the hosts of Top Gear, and thanks for listening to Speed City. Welcome back to Speed City, presented by Mosing Motor Cars. That Tanner Faust, he knows how to pilot a rally car. And he's going to be here Wednesday in Austin, Texas. Awesome. That's going to be a cool event. He does a bunch of movies, too. Um, oh, yeah. Born Identity, Fast and Furious. He's a badass. <laughs> well, speaking of badasses, oh, what a great segue. Hey! hey. We, uh, we've we been talking about Formula One. Dick, stand and- up, everybody. Come on. <laughs> oh, I'm, 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 come on. Come on. All right. We're very excited to welcome back to the show Lee Diffie. Hey, Lee. How's it going, man? Hey, guys. Happy Easter weekend. Thanks for having me back on. Happy uh, Easter, yeah, We buddy. promised the Formula One fans we'd find you. we found you. I know you're busy, mate, but <laughs> you got to have you. I thought about doing a uh, <clears throat> April 1st gag today and saying, um, <laughs> hey, folks, pleased to say that uh, Will Buxton, Steve Matchett, David Hobbs, and myself will be back on the air next weekend for the oh. Bahrain Grand Prix. <laughs> oh, I better not. You would have exploded Twitter on that one. <laughs> well, here's another one for you that you'll amuse you. Les was convinced that Kevin Schwantz was going to be taking on <laughs> Joe Roberts in Moto2 because MotoGP <laughs> put out that this morning. Yeah. And he, t- he took a hit line and center and said, hey, forget Lee. Let's have Le- Kevin on as well. Yeah. <laughs> 90 seconds later, I went, wait Oops. a minute. Today's April 1st. <laughs> yeah. But I've never seen MotoGP show a sense of humor. I'm sorry. I think that was probably the best one of the weekend. Yeah. Lee, for the last 20 minutes, we've been talking about Haas, as everybody has all week. And I want to get your take on it. I've been watching your Twitter feed, and I saw one of your answers to one of the fans who, who wanted your take on, obviously, the, the, the discussion, Alonso, you know, saying that it was a replica of a Ferrari, and even Zach Brown, our own American, calling it a fass. What's your take? Well, pretty much what I, what, what I said on Twitter. You know, yep. Haas have outsmarted them, and they don't like it. Haas are... <laughs> Haas are operating within within the rule um, structure and the parameters, and you know I'm pretty sure that they've gone all the way up to the line and you know nudging it, um, which I mean even before they turned a wheel um, in competition, you know there were people saying eh, not quite sure about this, but you know Gunther Steiner, uh, the 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 uh, team principal, is a smart guy and he works really well with Gene Haas, and Gene, Gene gives him all the rope he needs. He says, look, you know, I'm not from the Formula One world. We'll make this work together, you know, with my business acumen and my motor racing acumen, but you're the Formula One guy. You make it happen. And Gunther just didn't do this overnight. He spent a long time working out how they were going to do this and uh, which partners they were going to choose. And, you know, he was the first one, you know, years ago to say, look, we're not going to try and make a you know, redesign and remake a steering rack here in Kannapolis, North Carolina, and try and reinvent the wheel, that would be a waste of our time. But we know where we could buy one, and we're going to work with Delara on the chassis, and we're going to work with Ferrari on various things, uh, you know, in, in addition to the to the power unit. And um, I don't know. Look, if, if the other teams uh, like McLaren and such have such a big problem with it, well, then 
you know, go to the World Motorsport Council and go to the strategy group and, and you know, um, make make such a strong stand that you get the rules changed. But while they're operating within the rule structure, fair play to them. Yeah, go ahead. Hey, Lee, I got to ask. So where is the line drawn that you cannot, uh, you know, between a factory and a customer car? Okay, so Speed City puts together a car. We got Lee as our principal. <laughs> Lee negotiates, get the en- gets the engine, gets the engine management. Uh, where does it stop, Lee? Where where can you not get something from Ferrari to put on the Speed City car? Well, so long as so you, you still have you still have to make a, uh, a, a, a certain parts of the car to deem yourself as a constructor. Right. So in a design element and in a manufacturing element, etc. So. Haas have to meet those parameters. You know, to put a specific number on it, off the top of my head, I can't remember. I, I, I don't know. But, um, you know, like I said, I think they're dancing a pretty fine line. Um, but um, I, I, I think it's interesting. I, I, on the flip side, I felt very sorry for them yeah. after, the, after oh. the Melbourne result um, because that would have been a huge boost, you know, to, to start their third season. Um, but anyway, it just goes to show that even for... Um, for as strong as they were running on track and for all of the criticism that they were getting about how strong they were, not only in testing but in the, in, on the race weekend, that um, hey, there's always that human element that come in, can come into play. I, Lee, i got to ask you, because the wider argument here and, and those that are the naysayers of this sort of kind of collaboration is that we're heading towards too much of a sort of customer car stroke, replica car stroke, and then going towards Indy. You're involved in Indy, and also you've been involved, as I have, in motorcycle racing, where no one's got a problem with Zarco and Tech 3 taking pole position. So how can it work in MotoGP with nobody complaining and there being customer engines, but it doesn't seem to fit into form? Formula One's model. I think because because the more established teams don't like seeing a newcomer in, <laughs> same, newcomer same come in and, and and kind of be a threat. I think that's a major part of it. Um, I think there's the traditionalist angle to it, where you um, where you have to be more of a constructor, you know, uh, in the true sense of the word, as opposed to a customer. Mm-hmm. Um, I. I and I also have a very strong opinion that, okay, well, let, let, let's be really hardline about it. Let's be really traditional about it. And um, they don't, you know, they being half don't meet the, the template. So they're not here. They're not on the grid. So now we've got nine teams. Is that yeah. good for the sport? Uh, no. Yeah, yeah exactly. I agree. You know, so I don't know. It's a, it's, I don't, I, you know, Jonathan, I don't, I don't think there's a, a black and white answer. Nah. It's a, you know, there's a grey area, and we could, we, we could talk ourselves around in circles for ages. But, you know, maybe it's because that they're an American team, and you know, we, we're kind of uh, uh, rooting for them and cheering them on. But. Um, you know, in the big picture of the sport, I think it's better that they're there than not. Yeah, and I mean, you know, it's. I always say this, but people forget, time moves on, and people forget that, uh, you know, Vettel's win, first win, was in a Toro Rosso, and everybody loved that because it was the little guys getting a day in the sun. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and, and here's the other thing. If it was so easy, yeah. why, 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 aren't there, why aren't there 25 teams out there? Mm, and why, why aren't there another six halves? you know, kind of replica-style teams lining up and, and, and doing it with, with other teams, you know, doing it with Mercedes and doing it with, who, you know, whoever else would be, would be open to that. You know, I mean, I, I, think, uh, I think this will blow over in a little while. Um, though Haas will find their position again mid-pack and, 
have another successful season and everyone will get on with it. And, and the ones who are really screaming the most, you know, I don't think McLaren has a lot to scream about, do they? They finished fifth. You know, had two cars in the yep. points and Alonso finished fifth. Yeah. I thought that was a pretty pretty darn good opening weekend. Yeah, I, I agree, but Lee, I, I got to back up a little bit. Did you just say that we shouldn't expect Haas on the podium? No, I didn't say that. I just said they'll, I just, I just said they'll, they'll find their place, you know, in the overall yeah, yeah. going, you know, um, mid-pack, mid which I think which I think they would be delighted with, you know, for two their first two seasons in eighth, um, which was great. You know, the, the they didn't they didn't move anywhere in in terms of their final standings, but the amount of the increase in the amount of points that they piled on last year, I thought was really encouraging. And um, I think a podium, I think a podium this year would be phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, excellent. You know, when, they're, when they're racing teams that have been around for more than yeah. twenty years, <laughs> you know, and I'm talking about you know if you if you think about specifically Alfa Romeo slash Sauber. Yep. Um, you know, they're, they're doing great. Time, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, good. Then I agree with you. Cause I was thinking, okay, <laughs> Botas didn't do his loopy loop turn there. He'd, he'd still be in that. They'd, they'd probably shove back one from where they were running at the time of the, the loose nut behind the wheel. Well, yeah. I got to say that I was the I was the most disappointed I've ever been watching <laughs> Formula One after watching both Haas cars go out. The way they did, the position they were in, I mean, I was just... I I'm was, just glad the studio's padded. <laughs> <laughs> Lee, I want to talk a couple of things. One is Sellersville Theatre, which I know you're going to get to. Uh, I want to tell the fans about that. But also, congratulations on IndyCar, uh, Phoenix coming up. But uh, NBC, uh, really exciting news for you guys. It's huge. Yeah, it's 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 huge, and um, uh, I, I can't begin to tell you that the 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 uh, 180 degree turn in, in in emotions, and you know you should <laughs> yeah. never let emotion uh, mix with business. But you know we're all so passionate about the sport, and and everybody at the NBC Sports Group. It doesn't matter what sports property you're working on, whether it's our uh, brothers and sisters in in hockey or NFL or the Olympics or whatever. I mean, it's a really super passionate group, and um, that that you know is evident in in the end product and the quality of of the work that the company turns out. And so, you know, we were bummed. We were really bummed. Everyone, right from our management group, our executives, you know, all the way through the whole company, we were bummed that Formula One had come to an end after five years. Uh, but that was a company uh, decision and, um, you know, a very uh, strategic one and, and a purposeful one. Um, and then for it to be um, anything but decided up until recently as to who would get the rights for IndyCar exclusively for the first time, um, you know, uh, because it's been the shared program of, for, for the last 10 years uh, between ABC, ESPN and uh, NBC Sports, where we were, as, as, a, as a condition of the contract, we were precluded from uh, airing anything on Big NBC, what I call Big NBC, the network. And uh, so we would, we would always be on NBCSN. And so with that comes some tricky stuff where people talk about ratings numbers and we want a bigger audience and, you know, you're always you know, arm wrestling uh, different groups with that. And then so to finally be able to get the rights exclusively for three years um, jump up significantly in the network races. So at the moment, uh, there are five races shown on the ABC network. Uh, from next year onwards, uh, there will be eight shown on the network, which is massive. Yeah. You know, for IndyCar to have that kind of exposure on, on a main network is phenomenal. Yeah, free to air. And, of course, the centerpiece to that is the Indy 500. And, 
Um, you know, without being too parochial, um, you know, one thing that we do really well, that, that the NBC Sports Group does really well, as, as all of your listeners would know, is we do really big events really well. Mm. So the Olympics, the Super Bowl, Sunday night football, you know, English Premier League, we, we did the Monaco Grand Prix, um, the Kentucky Derby. You know, you think about really blue chip, big club, big events we do in a very classy way and we do it in, in a way that that event deserves to be shown and we feel that uh, we can bring a difference to the Indianapolis 500 next year. So um, to, to say that people are excited and pumped is an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lee, we had Sebastian Bourdais on after his win at St. Pete uh, not too long ago and he was talking about the, the new the changes in IndyCar this year. What about the changes and what are we looking for this year? Well, I tell you, to, to answer your question in a weird way, uh, uh, the cars look phenomenal. You know, the, the new cars look phenomenal. They perform really well. But the thing, the one thing that hasn't changed, and and the new cars and and the new uh, IndyCar in 2018, the one thing that hasn't changed, as we saw in St. Petersburg, is the unpredictability. Mm-hmm. And that's the that's a question that I get asked all the time about, particularly when we were doing both Formula One and IndyCar, and with with uh, F1. You know, any anybody who's who's watched a decent amount of Formula One would know that. You know, in this current era, if you put your money on Mercedes or a Ferrari or a Red Bull, you'd be pretty safe, right? Week in, week out. Mm-hmm. And uh, with IndyCar, you know, it's 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 nothing from 17, 16, 17 races a year to have ten or eleven different winners, and yeah. that's a beautiful thing. When when we all love competition and we love motorsport as much as we do, to go to a race weekend and maybe have a vague idea who's going to win, but then at the end of the day, like at St. Petersburg, Sebastian Bourdais you know, wins in this amazing comeback story and, uh, you know, for, for Dale Coyne. And that, to me, is what, what um, you know, in addition to the variety of the tracks and the characters and the drivers and the, the diversity and the new car this year, everything that IndyCar's got going for it, that unpredictability and the closeness of racing is what, as, as an announcer of IndyCar, I just love. Yeah, and, you know, we won't get into it, but, you know, there's been a lot of talk about aerodynamics in both Formula One and IndyCar, and listening to Rossi, listening to Bordet on our show, saying that, that the new aero package has taken the, the, the distance, especially at ovals when they've been testing, down in half, which obviously means that they can run closer, which obviously means we're going to see more opportunity to overtake, and that's just good for racing. That's just what we want, right? I mean, you look at... You look at uh Straight after Melbourne, um, and two two drivers that come to mind, Lewis Hamilton and Daniel Ricciardo, both just talking mm-hmm. about how ridiculously difficult it is um, to pass. Now, I think part of that is Melbourne. Yeah. Um, never a great overtaking track uh, in any era, um, but, you know, it is particularly difficult at the moment. So if IndyCar has indeed, and we'll find out this weekend uh, in Phoenix, a little bit more um, because I think St. Pete's a difficult track to get a true gauge on that. Yeah. So we'll find out for the first time on an oval um, for this year's championship just how close they can be and how how easy or how difficult it is to actually overtake uh, in proper you know race conditions. So I'm looking forward to that um, because if indeed it is, you know, it comes true what it's showing, then we're in for a heck of a season on IndyCar. 
Yeah, hey, and Lee, I know you're a family man, so thank you for coming on. But I want to also talk, everybody, and, and, and it's delightful. I'm so glad that the, the, the fans of Formula One have been asking after all of you boys. But it's not over. The tour goes on. It's just like Top Gear. We can find you at Sellersville Theatre. Is that right? On April yeah, yeah, 10th? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I forgot to answer that part of your question. Sellersville Theatre, uh, a week this Tuesday, so it's April 10th. And um, we sporadically uh, do these theatre shows, we being myself, Steve Matchett, David Hobbs, um, and, and occasionally we will have a special guest. And for the second year in a row at Sellersville in Pennsylvania, we'll have Mario Andretti, oh. which is just fantastic. So uh, Mario came along for the first time last year. Uh, it's just down the road from his house, so it's very convenient. <laughs> um, it's not too far from Nazareth, Pennsylvania. So Mario turned up in his uh, orange Lamborghini um, <laughs> Uh, with with uh, just he's so cool that man. He I mean, is. he's such a he's such a beautiful human being, but he's such a he's such a humble hero. But he came and you know we had a sellout crowd and uh, the show goes for two hours and Mario just uh, entertained and delighted the crowd with with you know varying stories and so we're looking forward to doing it again. We've done it in multiple states over the last few years and it's really good to just to get up close and meet our viewers and yeah. meet you know being a being a being a room of anywhere between three and six hundred people and um you know be being a room of like-minded people and talk about the sport we love for a couple of hours so come to yeah, austin we'll have um, you it's, yeah it's it's not quite sold out just yet there's a there's a few tickets left. i think there's probably 50 tickets left but um yeah really looking forward to being back at the sellersville theater because it's an historic old theater and and um and they've had a lot of good acts there over the years and and uh, so we feel we uh, our little Formula One group. We feel pr- pretty privileged to go there and um, and be part of that to talk about motorsport. So Lee, where do they get those tickets? Can they just Google it, or do you know where? to... Yeah, just the Sellersville Theatre, the Sellersville Theatre website. Yeah, if you just Google that, check that out. There'll be uh, the box office there. Yeah, so looking looking forward to to it all again. And um, yeah, I'm a bit uh, I'm a bit afraid of what kind of a David Hobbs we'll we'll discover without <laughs> being disciplined, having to turn up for work uh, every other weekend. We'll uh, see. Uh, uh, <laughs> he'll grow a beard. He'll be like Dave Letterman. Hey, he we'll, might be. He might be. He might have the Letterman beard. Yeah. Uh, there you go. And that we'll would share be that. Sight. And we'll share that link after the show. So be sure and follow us on Facebook, and we'll get that out for Lee's audience over in that area. Always fun. I did see something that I found funny about uh, my favorite historic F1 driver there, Mario. He's got a pet. Do you know what his special pet is? Tubby. I'm afraid. To Come ask. on, Lee. Lee knows. No, go. I don't, I don't know. No, go. <laughs> Bordeaux, I believe his name, and he's a pig. <laughs> Bordeaux the pig. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay, he just trumped, you know, Schwantz carrying yeah, he, his black lab around. <laughs> you should text him, Lee, and say, you are going to bring some Bordeaux with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? He, he's such an amazing man that he never, never ceases to amaze or impress. Uh, I've literally, you know, just about an hour ago, returned home from uh, the long Easter weekend with my um, with my family. Uh, my young sons had never been to Washington D.C. and hadn't uh, seen all the significant sites of the nation's capital. So we took them down there, and we did them, you know, amongst other things, we did uh, the, some of the museums, and we went to the portrait gallery, the portrait museum, uh, to see, uh, you know, the most recent instalment of, of the Obamas. And all of the other, you know, in, in the president's gallery to see, see all of the presidents of the United States and, uh, you know, so many other things within that, that amazing building. And we went up onto, I think it was the second or third floor and we were walking around and we discovered the sports section where the champions floor is. 
And wow. uh, there was not a portrait of him, but they had these amazing big flags, these banners flying. And who was on there? Mario. I love it. And it's just like in amongst all of the, some of the most important, you know, figures in the history of the world, here, here is Mario, you know, and uh, he's so humble. He never beats his own drum and, and uh, yeah, he, he, he's just, uh, he's fabulous. We're with, we're so lucky to have him as, as such a, an engaged, you know, forget what he's done in the sport. We're just lucky to have him so engaged because he'll talk to you about IndyCar. He'll talk to you about IMSA. He'll talk to you about Formula One. He'll talk to you about MotoGP. He stays up with drag racing. He watches a little bit of AMA Supercross. I mean, he is so in touch. I mean, he's not, he's just, you know, not a one trick pony. It's not all about open wheel cars and, you know, he'll talk to you about NASCAR, whatever. And, um, I just think, you know, in his in his mid to late seventies, we're lucky that he's uh, just still so engaged, and he still wants to bring so much to the sport that gave him everything. Listen, before you go, Lee, I've got one other story for you. Guess where I was this weekend, and your name came up. Uh, Road Atlanta doing Trans Am. Paul Tracy oh, with there. Paul Tracy, exactly. <laughs> and I'll tell you what. I said you've got because it was funny because I was listening to the interview, and afterwards I said, yeah, because he was talking about, well, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I got a kind of a bet on with Tanzan. He wants me to do Le Mans, and so I'm trying to get fit. And you know, and I said, yeah, you, you, you've got to go bragging rights. You've got to get a decent result out of this, otherwise you're going to get hell when you get back to the commentary booth. <laughs> he got eighthly. You can't give him a hard time, and he had a broken rear wing. So there you go. And I, I think I read I read that he had to start from the rear. He did. He did because he flat spotted a tire. Yes. So that was that, that. That's really good. I'm I'm happy that he's got the, um, uh, you know, he's still got the fire. Oh the yeah, fire still burns, which is really good. And I'm so proud of him in the in the commentary box too, because you know, and and the fans say it all the time. You know, he is so on point with his commentary, and yeah. and you know, as as you guys know, within broadcasting. It's all about reps, right? It, it, it's not just shows, it's years. Yep. You know, it's months and it's years and whatever. And, and with every broadcast and every year that goes by, Paul is just sharper and sharper. Not, he doesn't not, lose not, his not edge either about, about his opinions. as a broadcaster, you know. Yeah, yeah. And he doesn't lose his opinions, which is great, because so many of them kind of tend to be bland. He is not. <laughs> yeah. Go soft in the middle, would you say? <laughs> <laughs> he is... He is a bit of a teddy bear, but I wouldn't. I would never call him soft. <laughs> <laughs> Lee Diffie, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, we really appreciate it, and best of luck to you with all the broadcasts, including Indy and everything this year. And I know lots of the fans miss you, so we'll we hope watching. to give them a little taste this this evening. So thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, guys. It's all, it's always a pleasure, and uh, and uh, congrats on, uh, on on your deal with uh, with the. Um, the broadcasting of Formula One on Sirius and, and everything. Exciting times all around. So uh, have a great have a great season. Happy Easter, buddy. And don't forget your way back to Austin, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I won't. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thanks, man. Oh, that's awesome. Lee Diffie is ah, Everybody wanted F1. He wanted that. They wanted his opinion on F1. We got it. We got it. All right, we got to go to a break. We're way late. Uh, we're going to be back after these quick messages. You're listening to Speed City live in Austin. The Augusta motorcycles are the epitome of Italian style, precisely crafted with a passion for two-wheel art on wheels. Ducati Austin are the only MV Augusta and Ducati factory authorized technicians in Austin, servicing all European brands. Check the Brutali Sport Naked, the most extreme essential naked bike ever. Or the Turismo Veloce 800, the first revolutionary tourer to be built by MV Augusta. Or if you want a pedigree steeped in racing, then look no further than the World Supersport winning Triple F3, 675 and 800. 
or go all out for the ultimate legendary F4 MV Augusta. Italian style with Texas soul. Trade-in, consignments welcome and financing available. To Caddy Austin and the home of MV Augusta at 818 Breaker Lane, just east of I-35. Bozing Motor Cars is Central Texas' source for classic performance cars. British, German, Italian, Japanese, and American. Ready for that special car you've always dreamed of? Bozing has you covered. Looking to sell a classic? Let Mosing handle all the details and get that special vehicle in the hands of the right buyer. Visit the showroom at 2420 Westbreaker Lane or call 512-821-9491. Or browse the garage online at mosingmotorcars.com. Mosing Motor Cars. Drive yourself happy. You've made the right choice. Talk 1370. Hi, I'm Wayne Rainey, and you're listening to Speed City. Welcome back to Speed City, presented by Losing Motor Cars. I got to talk one more Mario Andretti story, and it's not <laughs> the one you're thinking, Les. Oh, okay. The, the one you were thinking was how Mario stays late into the night every year at Coda to sign autographs. For anyone who will ask, but oh, yeah. if you remember at Christmas time, he tweeted a picture of his Christmas tree and he said to people, tweet me yours. And people started tweeting him and tweeting him and tweeting him. Imagine Mario Andretti asking Gosh. that. And I don't know how many thousands of people. And I started reading his response to every single one. It's amazing. And I went, I bet I looked for 20 minutes, maybe longer, and he, and it kept going. He he responded to every single person. I don't know how he did it. I was like, this must have taken him days. Well, I know he does a lot of it himself. I, you know, I, I'm sure he's got a PA. I know that. We've met her. But, uh, man, that's a full-time deal, I, how much he actually does himself. I, I know that, but the, the reason that I thought it was him is because you can, you know how you can tell the tone? He's either yeah. got a PA who knows him so well, but you could just tell the tone and it was consistent all the way through. I swear it felt like it was Mario. And, and, and because we know him and we've seen the way he interacts with people and as Lee said it, it, I mean, you hate to go over the top like this, but Mario is one of those really special heroes in American sports. Uh, I, I just funny. I was coming on the plane back uh, from Atlanta today, and, and and I was just just reading about Hamilton's heroes, you know. And he mentioned um, LeBron LeBron James, and he also mentioned uh, you know Muhammad Ali. He mentioned uh, Venus Williams. I'm thinking about Tiger next weekend. You know, we are. I mean, Roger Federer. We're in an era, and I really do think. And Mario's still here. But we're in an era of great, great sporting heroes. And I know everybody waxes rhapsodic about their era. My dad will tell me about some of the great heroes, Sonny Liston, whatever. Uh, and we've all had it. But I, I am just amazed and perplexed by some of the great athletes that I've been fortunate. What, some in, in, in terms of Mario to meet, but also to idolize and to see Tiger coming back is just, it's an incredible story. Um, and there's so many great athletes out there at the moment. Yeah, I, re I remember the first time I interviewed Mario, it was right before Circuit of the Americas opened. Right. And the I first was, lap. It, yeah, it was, yeah. It was the first lap on the track. Yes, it was. And I was so nervous to interview him. Yeah, I remember. I, I had my little <laughs> Zoom recorder and I thought, Am I, have I got the settings right? And I just grabbed my iPhone and I hit the recorder on my iPhone and stuck it next to the Zoom recorder. So just in case I get it wrong. Yeah. And sure enough, it did. I got it wrong and the interview was on my iPhone. Thank goodness I did a backup. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I remember, you know, that was when he got in the car he won the championship with. They brought it down from Rogogo Racing. Yeah. John Player Special. Uh, yeah, Rogogo Racing out of Dallas takes care of 
that, and they brought it down. I remember his comment. It was like seeing an old girlfriend. Yeah, I remember that, too. (laughs) made me smile. And he did. He had a big grin on his face. Um, I've got a parting shot for this weekend. I'm really looking forward to next weekend for a couple of reasons. Um, It's a full weekend. MotoGP. Yeah. Uh, from Argentina. And I want to remind everybody that Joe Roberts uh, is the American representing us in Moto2. Uh, he's just 21 years of age. He came down to the Circuit of the Americas, did a little junket uh, a few days ago with Kevin Schwantz, who, of course, was a former world champion and an Austinite and a dashed good fellow. Uh, he won't be racing at MotoGP. <laughs> that was a little bit of an April Fool. But um, no, I want you, if you haven't got your tickets for MotoGP, come on down, cheer the American on. Um, also, don't forget Jake Gagne and uh, PJ Jacobson in World Superbikes. Uh, got but some my, Americans out there, yeah. Yeah, my parting shot is this though look towards and it's it's uh, as uh, Lee mentioned it's also Phoenix Saturday night IndyCar so don't miss that uh, but Sunday of course will be Bahrain and my point is this Vettel blew it last year he started messing around as early as Baku banging into uh Hamilton and rattling both himself and playing into the hands of a master like Hamilton who quite frankly never looked back from that moment Vettel has an advantage albeit by whatever delta you want, whatever computer glitch you want. But Seb, if you're listening, and fans of Seb, if you're listening, he's got to take advantage of that, and he's got to keep scoring points, and he's got to keep going. Otherwise, Hamilton is on to his fifth. That's, mm. I know it's early in the season, but I do think psychologically... He can't mess about this year. Yeah, and you can't mess about when it's Mercedes looking in your from your rearview mirror. Yeah. For sure. Ferrari got a decent car. It's obvious. And it's going to be so exciting to see Haas recover from this. So it's we got to watch that. Hey, and speaking of Formula One, you got to check out uh, where we got our national show. So check out our website to find all the details of that. SpeedCityBroadcast.com. We got to go. Thanks for tuning in tonight. Thanks to Lee Diffie for joining yeah! us. Yeah. And right. check us out on social media and everything else. We put lots of content this week on SoundCloud too. Thanks for tuning in. Happy Trail. Ciao, y'all. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.